Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, of course, Luca Parry. And today we've got an absolute treat because we are speaking with Mr. Oli Pekka Heinonen, the Director General of the International Baccalaureate Organization. He's actually the eighth ever Director General, and he stepped into that role on the 1st of May 2021. Before that, he was actually the Director General of the Finnish National Agency for Education, where he worked from January in 2017. It's fair to say he's, I, I think you've almost held every position in, in Finnish politics, looking at your bio here, Oli but you know. Minister of Education and Science from 94 to 99, Transport Communication from 99 to 2002, and Member of Parliament from 95 to 2002. Um, and he's also, before that, he was the director of LE, and you have to pronounce, get my pronunciation right on that, but that's the Finnish National Public Broadcasting Company. And so again, he joins us with this incredible amount of expertise as State Secretary of Portfolios of Ministry of Education and Culture um, and, and Foreign Trade and Development, Ministry of Finance, it just goes on and on. Um, Oli Pekka, which is wonderful. And you hold a Master of Laws uh, and honorary doctorates, in fact, from two different universities in Finland as well. He also is married, has three kids. So, you know, he's human, amazingly, as part with all of that incredible kind of CV to begin us with. Um, but Oli Pekka, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. My pleasure, Loker. It's great to reconnect with you. Um, it's been a few years since Salzburg where we met. Uh, but question one is, what's something you're learning at the moment, as a lifelong learner, clearly, what's, what's something that you're learning? Well, I'm I'm learning uh, I'm learning French. <laughs> uh, living in Geneva, uh, it's a necessity here, and and it's kind of it's been so interesting to kind of learn a new language from scratch, uh, and and kind of it. The learning French has been a learning experience on itself for me to kind of kind of try to look at yourself and look at how the learning happens also at the same time. Uh, really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um we just we on train d'apprendre français aussi, mais c'est pas très facile. Il y a beaucoup. Yeah, this, I mean it's a learning languages, I think, as an adult is such an incredible remembering of the learning process that young people go through every single day in schools. You know, it's the beginner's mindset once more, the constant failure, the pit of learning, as we call it. You know, it's um good for you, Ali Becker. Thank you. And it's kind of, as you said, it's the question really that um, you get aware of the amount of kind of, kind of, effort that you need to put into it also kind of repeat 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 also and, and sometimes we kind of when we are planning the future of education and learning we kind of forget that you need to have also that part there mm -hmm. yeah that it is falling down and getting back up over and over again and embarrassing yourself in the process, especially with language learning, yeah. <laughs> which is great. Well, on that future of education piece, uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, th this is called education transformed. You know, when you think about transformation as an agenda or as a construct, you know, what is it that comes to your mind? How might you articulate what transformation means to you? Hmm. Well, I think the word transform, I guess, initially meant uh, that two things are coming closer to each other. Mm -hmm. 
and and it's not in form it's not reform but it's transform mm. and for me it uh what what are the two two things that are coming closer together when we're talking about transformative power of education is it's the learner and the world mm -hmm. that are coming closer to each other uh, but it is also the way that the society is transforming itself so it's also the kind of in a way it's, it's a it's a way of updating the society to better be fit with the challenges and the kind of aspirations for a better future mm -hmm. so so that's that's the way i see it and i also believe that we are living in a way in a world between times like like uh Zach Stein phrases it yes um, yes that's and and in times like that the really the the transformative power of education is tested that mm. are we capable of using that tool as individuals as communities as societies, as a global mankind, mm. to to what it could be on its best. That's beautiful. I, I love this idea of the learner and the world moving closer towards each other. Um, and something that I think for, you know, mass education systems or mass schooling systems uh, that were very much I, I mean, my my reflection often is people say education is broken. I I don't use that frame at all. I think it functions as it was meant to function, but it's just no longer, it hasn't been updated to use your language uh, for some time. I mean, the IB has very much been a leader in this for some some decades, one might even say. Um, so I guess, and yeah, Zach Stein, I'm very, very keen. I had a chat with him recently as well, actually. So he'll be a future guest on the podcast. But this, this idea of being between worlds, and in some ways that feels like where we are in education in this moment. Is kind of the letting go of the old, but also the embracing of the new post-COVID, post all these other challenges. How do, how do you see uh, kind of the future of education being not just reimagined, but remade? Because I think that for a long time, people have said, we need a new way or we need a, an, a transformed way of understanding this. And, you know, the UNGA last year had the Transforming Education Summit um, as, it's, as it's effectively kind of its headline. And so... What's your reflection as a long-term policymaker, educator, um, Ollie Pecker, in this space about where we need to head? What are some of the shifts that are required um, against the backdrop of society that's also shifting? I think it's a good question because there is there's kind of so much noise in the space of educational discourse. And it's very difficult to kind of see what's the message really there that you should catch, where the signals really are. Uh, and kind of, I, I, I do think that there is something 
uh, very uh, kind of fundamental happening with the idea of moving in a situation where the how would I say the learning is more a a kind of an emergent mm. function and and that kind of challenges the question that how we the older generations are capable of transferring the the valuable to the new generations because we are all learners in so many things mm. and it's as you said about the question of how to how to move to a new place it's it's not anymore the way that the the older generations are helping the younger generations but i think it is more a situation where we need the different generations to mm -hmm. help each other to support each other to get over that border and and it needs to be a, a coherent story that we need to build with the old world and the new world because mm. it's an identity question and 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 it 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 kind of will not be a functioning identity if we are not capable of telling what the path really is to the new. Another issue that I see that is fundamental is that I feel that we have had the, the kind of scientific worldview frame for a certain period of time as a kind of a basic frame for people to make sense and also kind of it, it has enabled us also to disagree mm -hmm. because there's been a base on which you can disagree but I, yeah. what i'm seeing is that now we're in a situation where we have kind of different frames and the 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 kind of however the, the monopoly of the of the scientific worldview is not there anymore and then we have kind of frames that we can very easily kind of put different valuations on them whether they are good or bad um, but but i think it's a fact that there are more of that kind of sense made making mm. frame and 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 for example just coming back from from india yes and had very interesting discussion for example with the university of mumbai how they are now starting to look at how they can incorporate in their activities the indian knowledge systems which yes. are the traditional systems of those cultures yeah because before that, it was something that was very kind of just brought in the the, the Western colonial educational environment, exactly. Mm. And now that won't kind of that they want to have also that 
that kind of other type of looking at or knowing. And of mm. course, the same thing that what we've been working and doing a lot of work with the indigenous ways of knowing. Mm-hmm. And then how to really create a dialogue there, which could understand the differences, but also kind of value each other. Uh, I Beautiful. think that is also a fundamental change that that there really is. Oh, that's so interesting, Olipaka. I mean, I think you've picked up a lot of things there. Definitely intergenerational collaboration as opposed to the dissemination of wisdom just from one generation to the other. It seems to be the world is now so complex that it takes multiple standpoints and perspectives. I like your your piece on, you know, I, I would call it epistemic justice. You know, how do we ensure that there are multiple ways of seeing that are valued and celebrated? In fact, elevated where that's required lest we we kind of be so stuck, so mired in a particular frame that becomes so identity-oriented that we can never, frankly, evolve. Or we're called to change ourselves every day, and yet we're not. We're still so attached to the old ways of doing and being and learning and teaching that, you know, transformation is not possible in that space. Um, of course, some of my own careers, you know, been learning from and with First Nations in Australia, and I, I feel like I've learned such a profound amount from my experiences there as a, as a leader and as an educator, especially just about how to see the world, what really matters, what is education for, you know, some of these really big picture framing questions that I think if, if we think it's just about improving what we did yesterday, you know, sometimes the ladder might not be on the right wall and we're still trying to climb the ladder and that's great, but are we actually oriented? So yeah, I guess my, I'm really curious about how you see this as because the IB is an enormous vehicle for for learning and for and for global transformation in education. It's incredibly exciting. And so I wonder about, you know, how you might see the evolution of the IB uh, clearly as, as leading it and with a long tradition of being innovative in its design and I would say more global citizen focused around kind of in a more agency oriented even potentially than some other models, the traditional models that we say, or credentialing systems. How do you, what, how do you see the steps forward? Well, we have, um, we have kind of made a, a strategy for us, which we internally, we call it more IB. Uh, and by that, we mean that 50, uh, five years ago when the organization was created, there was a very strong kind of a mission and, and societal mm. connection to the birth of the first IB programs at schools. Uh, and then it had a lot to do with, of course, the, the still the aftermaths of the Second World War yeah. and, and kind of building something that would enable that not to happen any 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 more uh anywhere um but i'm kind of the, the question that has really i've been asking myself that if mm. those kind of founders would be here today uh would they be kind of satisfied if we just said that well we have continued doing exactly the same things that you did or would they say that now it's kind of your task to look 
what's the world you're living today what are those challenges and how are you going to build that link between mm. the students and those challenges and and that's exactly what we have been trying to do mm. uh, and and um that that means of course kind of reforming also our programs um in a way that they would be more meaningful for the students and and also kind of reforming the way that we think of schooling or running the education system which i be mm -hmm. also in a way is yeah uh, in a way that enables uh, high quality learning and teaching to happen and 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 of course uh the, the some of the things that we are we are doing in those areas is is uh is also a work that we've been doing listening to students yeah we've been touring the the the, the world with a, a kind of a events called festival box hope where we have engaged with students and created them the space, the safe space for them to tell what's meaningful for them. Mm. And it's very clear that certain things come up, uh, identity questions very strongly. And again, I think it tells about that thing that we are in the world between times because yes. in those times, identity is the one which is really kind of uh, stressed. Mm. And, and other things that come up are the, the kind of global challenges, of course, the climate change, but not only that, but kind of loss of biodiversity, uh, the inequalities that we are seeing inside and between nations, and so on. And the third thing that comes up is the kind of well-being questions more generally of students. Uh, and, and, and those are the issues that we're trying to incorporate in our programs uh, to, to kind of understand that those challenges exist, but also then to have the, our programs to be able to give also tools and solutions to cope with those challenges yeah um, so, so 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 that's that that's really is at the core what we're doing i love the i love the focus on meaning or meaning making i mean i think there's so much in that ollie packer and clearly a theme of our conversation already is this piece on identity you know it's not not just what do we need to know and what we need to be able to do but who are we called to be or become that idea you know of being a, a global citizen or a change agent or someone who understands their contribution to a community or to a society as we are between these worlds i mean i'm sure you've been doing it as well i've been following tracking kind of the developments in artificial intelligence and generative ai in particular and i mean it's just we're in this the middle of this renaissance explosion um and you know there's kind of a lot of concern about that explosion at the same time as there's a lot of kind of anticipation about what it might mean and i, I think the one thing that ai can't yet do um, is is to be us is to be human and so 
I think we're seeing kind of a really significant transformation in the routine versus non-routine, but actually the most powerful things are for our kind of deeper human qualities of belonging, social connectedness, emotional regulation, you know, agency as a theme, embodiment, you know, the idea of the mind-body connection or the extended mind research, which I think is so interesting. And um, yeah, this kind of is blowing open, I think, the possibilities for for schools and education to respond. Um, I wonder with all of that happening, my question is what's something that should not change? Because clearly there'll be evolutions at the IB and in, in other curriculum settings and all that was going to happen. Programs will be rewritten, they'll become more relevant, they'll become more meaningful, they'll be using tools as opposed to you know, um, not referencing them properly. What's the thing we should always hold on to in education, mm. in the work mm. that we do? Well, I think that's the that's the human connection. That's the that the, when we're talking about learning and when we're talking about younger children enabling their growth path, that it, it is it is really a deeply human uh, kind of a quality that we're capable of being next to each other and having that ability to help the other to reach uh, important things in their lives as learning. Mm. And, and I think that is something that I am hoping that we are using AI, for example, in a way that leaves more room for those moments of connecting and meeting that it would more bring people together than kind of distance them from one another. Mm. Uh, I definitely kind of see that that's something that we must very strongly hold on to that. <clears throat> and I think the other thing that cause again, AI, it makes it very easy for us to kind of measure, for example, a lot of things and, and, and to kind of uh, kind of get big data on a lot of things. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm also hoping that we don't just go along with that, that what is easy to measure, yeah. but we kind of keep in mind that that kind of although learning is important the final aim is the human development yeah that in that sense the learning is a tool for human development yes. and we are so good I, I i kind of love the phrase that it was uh albert einstein one of the most quoted person in the world but <laughs> yeah. kind of he also had one of one quote where he said of his time already that we humans are so good at crystallizing the means and forgetting the final aims mm. and that's the kind of thing that we must not do uh with all this complexity and change around us beautiful reflection i mean to your comment about big data, I think when we think about human connection, Ollie Pecker, it's often small data. Mm. It's like, here's sure. one, 
is the like n equals one <laughs> it's like yeah. this very kind of human centered approach who are you what what do you love to do what does the world need what can you be paid for you know the ikigai model it's a beautiful other conception you know about human centeredness or purpose and yeah. you know purpose meaning passion meaning profession meaning vocation which i think is just you know being able to sit next to somebody or just and and i wonder about the society you brought up the kind of shifts in society there does seem to be this just reality that everything has become so i think it's just a byproduct of user-centered design or design thinking more broadly which is let's make it this easier for the user and solve pain points but sometimes mm -hmm. those pain points are actually experiences that help to develop a capability I, so if, if the purpose of education is human flourishing through through human development and yeah. learning is the main vehicle to get there, I yeah. sometimes think we, ha we are taking too much from our young people. I, I, the experiences for them to expand and to create identities that are multiple, that are complex, as opposed to just pressing a single button and everything kind of being worked out for you. You know, like there is something about playing in the mud or yeah. in your native Finland. Going out right. when it's minus 15, you know, all rugged up and playing outside as the young people seem to do. Yeah. What's your, do you have a reflection on kind of the societal impacts that are coming, I think, at us that, through that lens? Uh, I think you're right that, uh, and that's that's a little bit also the challenge sometimes that when, I, when we're talking about well-being, it's kind of thought as a synonym to kind of wellness industry. Mm. And 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 I I think that's a that's a dangerous kind of comparison in that sense that uh, kind of well being doesn't mean that you're kind of always feeling happy and there are no mm. troubles in life but it's all kind of sunshine because that's that's not where we're kind of we we need that kind of moments. But that's not what life is about. Yes. Uh, and 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 the kind of <clears throat> I think the really the the task of an educator to be able to understand that whole child or student in a way that the the kind of educator is capable of seeing that where what are the things where there would be kind of challenge for that purpose yeah. for for that yes. person but no not so much challenge that it would kind of he or she would lost interest because it's not reachable yes it's really that very very kind of old and basic idea that we have to keep in mind and and it's the it's the same thing on a societal level that kind of learning happens when you enter the territory of the unknown. Because if you just stay in the territory of the known, yeah. there isn't any learning. Yes. And, and, and for that reason, kind of, there is a tendency in, in our societies to kind of, uh, how would I say, that let's let's stay here let's let's not kind of do things in a new way 
And, and, and I think that what really struck me was that research by the Bath University, which said that of 15 to 25 year old young people, 75% of 10,000 people said that future is a scary place for them. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, that there is, you really have to deep, think deeply about what have we done in mm. order to that to be the result. Mm. And, and there was also a number of those same students who said, who had the belief that world will come to an end during their lifetime. Wow. And how do you, how do you kind of live a life with that kind of a belief? So, so I think there is, there is some kind of heavy lifting for us to do to make a better job in kind of uh, have that, that kind of safe path to growing and developing as a human, but also in a way that um, includes that idea of the agency includes that idea towards action mm. or making a better world. Um, and, and, and I, I kind of, I, I see that as a, as a big question for, for all education systems. And I think we come back to the question of the, of the kind of big changes and transformation. What are the two things that should be brought closer together? Uh, I, I think the action, is the the centerpiece how mm. the learner and the world come can come together i i think that's beautifully put ali pekka my reflection is that we're not in a knowledge economy at all we're in a creation economy so it's applied knowledge and uh, augmented with technologies for the pursuit of human progress and equity and i this piece on hope. I mean, you think about the nihilism that you've just spoken about from the data in our young people of well, what's the point or the future is a scary place as opposed to what childhood ought to be, which is look at the possibility ahead for me to act, to be a contributor. Corner West says this beautifully. It's not about having hope. It's about being hope. It's internalizing that orientation such that we you can you know see that what's possible, see what's best, and then actively work against the really significant challenges to get us there. Yeah. The other the other part I heard from you was really interesting is this, like the challenge that we've removed from our world. You know, I feel like we've been focusing on solving struggle and not solving suffering. And it's, I make a distinction clearly, you know, where suffering is potentially op more optional than struggle. Struggle is how we expand and learn. And yet now it's like, you know, you used to go out and have to run a cross country race or you had to kind of step through the mud or build a tent or whatever the case might be, or even just read a novel cover to cover, you know? And now I think we are all being called to do that less and less because someone has synthesized, AI synthesized a novel for you into five dot points. And I, yeah. I, I am curious about where this takes us, Becca. I, you know, I'm a hopeful kind of guy, but I do wonder about, hmm, I don't know if some of these developments are going to help us expand because we need the productive struggle always yeah. at the core of our our striving, our expansion. 
it's the suffering yeah. that we should we should try yeah. to solve for as much as yeah. possible. And, and I think those two points are connected also in a way that because we we have so many kind of dystopias that we are creating. But where are the kind of utopias? Where where are the kind of uh, mm. the, the the positive? Yes. Imagine kind of futures that where we would like to live. Yeah. That would be the better ones. Because you first you have to have that, and 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 then it's the question that okay, how do we build that? road there and 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 then then we're into something yes that after that it's kind of uh we have something to work on we have something to come together with we have something to kind of look forward to and and that's that's something that is right now we're not walking on the bright side of the street Beautifully put, and I, I think all we need to do is walk across the street and start walking on the bright side. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a powerful piece around. You know, we are. You know, Hollywood loves dystopian futures. You know, like everything we see is about the kind of cataclysmic end of the world or it's post-apocalypse, and there seems to almost be kind of a, I don't know why, but a real desire to want to look towards that. But you're. You know, the idea of creating utopian futures that we can then look at what's the pathway forward, how do education systems play a role? I mean, I, I need to ask this question, Ollie Pecker, because some people go, oh, utopian education systems. I'll go, oh, Finland. It's a utopia. Mm. You're the happiest mm. country in the world. It's freezing cold most of the year. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, I do want you to reflect on that as someone that's spent most of your, your contributive life in that space. You know, what is it about... Clearly, it's not a utopia, but there are some elements that you just got so right. I'd love for you just to reflect on that. Not that it's your, you're now a more global space, but what are the, your lessons from from that that kind of chapter? Well, I think one thing is that, that there are kind of several things, but one one thing is that there is this uh, this kind of thing connected to the identity of Finland being an independent nation because uh, education was seen as a means to reach national identity and national independence because it was a small country and then it was seen that the only way really to have that national identity was to raise the knowledge and awareness uh, of the whole population of our culture our languages mm. that 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 kind of carries on it's it's in the dna of the of the nation the, the other one is that there is a strong uh strong sense of um the kind of a whole of a person development that that and it, it 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 kind of goes throughout the life of a person that that it's always seen as a kind of a possibility to develop as a whole uh, and 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 that's 
I, I would say that that has a, had a very strong impact. And of course, maybe the third one, which is connected to the first one, is that now having kind of traveled around the world, seeing different cultures, different kind of value systems, which all have their good parts. Uh, but in Finland, the kind of uh, equality and equity, mm. they're very strong there. It, it's really uh, something that Finnish people feel strongly about. And, and I think the education of the kind of Oh, how to build the education system so that it really makes sure that everybody has those same possibilities and not only the same kind of possibilities, but also that the needs of different individuals mm. are taken into consideration. So, so I think those are the elements that why it's been a well-functioning education system yeah I, I love the piece around again another theme to our conversation identity you know education as a means for national identity for the expression of self of an entity and i think that's why at least from the outside you see long-term decision making kind of beyond any political cycle you know i think in australia in the us in other parts of the uk so you know, you see these kind of big swings in education policy from one side to the other, and then we go back to basics, then we go progressive, and then, you know, and it seems like such an enormous waste of of time in some some sometimes because we've forgotten the longer arc that you know it's it's the quality of an education system that will determine the prosperity of a country. I think that's a an unarguable point. You know, I, the education as as really the key foundational stone for not just national prosperity, but maybe even for survivability. You know, if we dissolve SDG4 quality education, I think the other ones will then be properly attended to, you know, because then we can make better decisions. We can have that compassion orientation. We can understand mm -hmm. our role. Um, yeah, but I think that's, that's kind of something that I'm seeing that is getting worse around the globe, the question of, of the, 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 the kind of polariz polarization in, in the in the discussions, uh, it has kind of reached the classroom too, and 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 then mm. the outcome is exactly what you say that you go from kind of one end of the pendulum to the other one after elections, yeah. and that's kind of it, it means that you can't have any coherent and consistent education policy. That that at the end it's the teachers who lose their trust of of kind of new strategies and new policies mm -hmm. yeah. coming over time, not properly implemented, but kind of left halfway. And and the, the teachers are just saying that let's wait, let's not do anything. There will be a new coming pretty soon, so we we'll get over this one. To and, and and that's a, such a harmful thing to happen because yeah. there would be some very valuable decisions to be made also in, in national education policy and now it's kind of becoming kind of frozen for mm. these reasons. Seems like, you know, there's that, um, that you know quote, Haim, you know, it's like, you know, every decision is either going to... 
can humanize or dehumanize. Yeah. And it's this idea like, does the system humanize the humans within it? And then they inform back into the system or is there a dehumanization, which is often what the standardization agenda, I think is some, somewhat led to. Um, yeah. Ali Peck and I could speak to you for a very long time. You've got so much knowledge. I have two final questions for you. Um, penultimately, if we're sitting down as I hope we are in, let's say 10 years time, um, or 12 years time, let's say it's the, the year is 2035. You know, we have new sustainable development goals, which will probably be called the regenerative impact something. And then, um, but we're having a conversation about education. What do you, what do you hope is the reality that we're talking about when we think about the shifts that have occurred over 12 years of really significant uh, changes in society and in potentially schooling? Yeah. Well, I hope that we have we have been able to overcome the the second challenge of education globally, the first challenge that we pretty much actually already tackled before the COVID. That was the getting the the, the, the children of the world to school. Because there was a huge positive development there. Mm. We took a couple steps back with COVID, but I think we can we can kind of come back to a better situation. Now, the second challenge that I want us to do as well also is the the, the, the challenge of of learning and understanding the quality that how important the quality of learning is. And, and, and how, connect, how strongly it's connected also to the quality of teaching happening in schools. And, and, and to that extent, I do hope that we're capable of, of creating uh, the, the, the tools to increase the numbers of qualified teachers in the world to meet the needs of the of the future generations and the existing generations because mm. that would make a huge difference as you yeah. said if we tackle with the with the sustainable development goal four we are kind of doing we're creating kind of kind of enabling constraints for be successful with the other ones and, and and so 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 I see that that as a as a kind of a central central point. And then I hope truly, because there's a there's a we've never had so powerful technology in our hands. Yeah, that we could be wise to use it in a way that enables us to be more human. That enables us to use our individual strengths and to utilize each other's strength in order to kind of create collective wisdom uh, in our societies. And those are not kind of, those are reachable. Mm. We have it all. <laughs> it's, it's really the question that. Are we ready to commit ourselves to it? Are we ready to create new ways of sense making from different 
kind of perspectives mm -hmm. uh context to make it happen yeah that's put so beautifully um ah, thanks Ollie Beckham final question what's your take-home message for anyone listening to this and our listener audience are largely educators parents some innovators policymakers designers what would you say to them as someone who's dedicated you know a large chunk of your life to public service but in particular to the pursuit of education and learning quality in particular um, through your leadership roles Well, I would say that uh, there cannot be a better place and a better time to be an educator than the one that we're living right now. That kind of world between times, that uh, it's a challenging area, a challenging era, definitely. But thinking about meaningful work uh it's now it, it's it, this is the time for for us to do our best and i i don't kind of think that any um educator has the difficulty to go to work every day knowing the fact that that what a difference it could make of course to individuals but not only individuals that we're talking about the way that the societies are reforming themselves and transforming themselves and and, and i think that that kind of uh, um, thinking that that comes so strongly with kind of john dewey thinking i think we are yeah. finding it for new and, and and i see a lot of strength in it beautiful yeah, it is. Uh, I, I sometimes reflect it's not just innovation that we need, Oli Beck, it's remembering. And that's remembering what really matters, what's most meaningful for us as humans, as societies, as communities. Cool. Thank you for taking us on this beautiful journey of remembering and, you, and of meaning, meaningful conversation. It's been a delight to reconnect with you. Likewise, likewise. Let's keep in touch. Absolutely.